Part three, chapter eight of the Speaking Voice Principles of Training Simplified and Condensed by Catherine Jewell Everts. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter eight, the Dramatic Monologue and the Play. Our study in the vocal interpretation of literary forms finally reaches the play. The natural approach to the play is through the dramatic monologue. Indeed, the play, when presented by one person, becomes a dramatic monologue. The dictionary, in defining the monologue, authorizes three forms. One, when the actor tells a continuous story in which he is the chief character, referring to the others as absent. Two, when he assumes the voice or manner of several characters successively three more recently when he implies that the others are present leading the audience to imagine what they say by his replies browning created this more recent form which is the most vital of the three i have chosen for your study of the monologue examples from browning alone to interpret effectively any one of the browning monologues will call into play every element of power in voice and expression which you have gained in your study of previous forms you must think vividly feel intelligently realize and suggest an atmosphere sustain a situation and keep the beauty of the poetic form and you must do all this in the person of another the new demand which the monologue makes is impersonation let us see just what we mean by impersonation it is the art of identifying one's self with the character to be portrayed it is the art of losing one's self in the character and the situation the dramatist has created this means that the spirit of the character must take possession of the impersonator and inform his every thought and feeling and so his every motion and tone remember it is the spirit of the character that must determine the nature of the tone and gesture the great danger in entering upon the study of impersonation lies in emphasizing the outward manifestation instead of the inward spirit of the character to be portrayed if you really sense the soul mind heart quality of the character you are to present and have made your voice and body free agents for the manifestation of those qualities your impersonation will be convincing if the spirit of the patriot or andrea dal sarto or fra lippo lippi or pompilia or caponsacchi or guido obsesses you the outward manifestation will take care of itself always provided your instruments are responsive don't begin with the outward manifestation don't say i think this man would frown a great deal or fold his arms over his breast or use an eyeglass or strut or stoop or do any one of a hundred things which if repeated a half dozen times during an impersonation may become a mannerism and get between the audience and the spirit of the character when you are studying a character for the purpose of impersonation determine first to what type it belongs 
then study that type wherever you are daily life becomes your teacher and studio when you enter upon this art there are no longer dull moments in railroad stations or trains in shops or in the social whirl everywhere and always you are the student seeking to know and understand types of people better that you may use your knowledge in presenting to an audience an individual when you have caught the spirit of the individual you must realize the situation out of which this particular individual speaks let us make a special study of the tale browning's epilogue to the two poets of croisic it is perhaps the most exquisite of the poet's creations in this field the situation reveals a young girl recalling to her poet lover an old greek tale he had once told her there is a suggestion from some critics that browning has drawn his wife in this portrait and through it pays his tribute to her this immediately affords us a clue to the type of character to which the speaker belongs we cannot hope nor do we wish to impersonate mrs browning but a knowledge of mrs browning and her relation to her poet-lover gained through a study of her letters and sonnets will lead us more quickly to a comprehension of the speaker and situation in the tale obsessed by the spirit of the character and fully realizing the situation our next step is in imagination to set the stage this is an important point in presenting a monologue the impersonator must have a clear idea of his position on his imaginary stage relative to his imaginary interlocutor but he must remember that imaginary stage setting admits of only delicately suggestive use this is true of the handling of a monologue at every point it must be suggestive the actor carries to completion the action which the monologist suggests the art of interpreting a monologue depends upon the discrimination of the impersonator in drawing his line between suggestion and actualization in gesture the business of the monologist is to make an appeal to the imagination of the audience so vivid that the imagination of the audience can actualize the suggestion and the illusion is complete what are the relative positions of the girl and her lover in the tale there is nothing in the lines to make our choice arbitrary it is only important that we determine a relation and keep it consistently throughout the reading here is a possible setting they are in the poet's study he is working at his desk she is sitting in a great chair before the fire a book in her hand which she does not read she is gazing into the flames she begins dreamily more to herself than to him what a pretty tale you told me at what point does her tone lose its reflective quality and become more personal where does she turn to him how do we know that he leaves his chair and comes over to sit on the arm of her chair what calls him to her 
what two qualities of feeling run through her mood and determine the colour of her tone and the character of her movements if your study of mrs browning has been intelligent this interplay of the whimsical and serious in her nature cannot have escaped you and it will illumine now your impersonation of this girl it is the secret of the peculiar charm of this creation the story she tells is an old and well-known one it is the manner of the telling through which we come in touch with an exquisite woman's soul that holds us spellbound unless the interpreter catches this secret and reveals it to his audience he will miss the distinctive feature of the monologue and reduce it to a narrative poem a tale what a pretty tale you told me once upon a time said you found it somewhere scold me was it prose or was it rhyme greek or latin greek you said while your shoulder propped my head anyhow there's no forgetting this much if no more that a poet pray no petting yes a bard sir famed of yore went where such like used to go singing for a prize you know well he had to sing nor merely sing but play the lyre playing was important clearly quite as singing i desire sir you keep the fact in mind for a purpose that's behind there stood he while deep attention held the judges round judges able i should mention to detect the slightest sound sung or played amiss such ears had old judges it appears none the less he sang out boldly played in time and tune till the judges weighing coldly each note's worth seemed late or soon sure to smile in vain one tries picking faults out take the prize when a mischief were there seven strings the lyre possessed oh and afterward eleven thank you well sir who had guessed such ill luck in store it happed one of those same seven strings snapped all was lost then no a cricket what cicada pooh some mad thing that left its thicket for mere love of music flew with its little heart on fire lighted on the crippled lyre so that when our joy our singer for his truant string feels with disconcerted finger what does cricket else but fling fiery heart forth sound the note wanted by the throbbing throat ay and ever to the ending cricket chirps at need executes the hands intending promptly perfectly indeed saves the singer from defeat with her chirrup low and sweet till at ending all the judges cry with one assent take the prize a prize who grudges such a voice and instrument why we took your lyre for harp so it shrilled us forth f sharp did the conqueror spurn the creature once its service done 
that's no such uncommon feature in the case when music's son finds his lottie's power too spent for aiding soul development no this other on returning homeward prize in hand satisfied his bosom's yearning sir i hope you understand said some record there must be of this cricket's help to me so he made himself a statue marble stood life-size on the lyre he pointed at you perched his partner in the prize never more apart you found her he throned from him she crowned that's the tale its application somebody i know hopes one day for reputation through his poetry that's oh all so learned and so wise and deserving of a prize if he gains one will some ticket when his statue's built tell the gazer twas a cricket helped my crippled lyre whose lilt sweet and low when strength usurped softness place in a scale she chirped for as victory was nighest while i sang and played with my lyre at lowest highest right alike one string that made love sound soft was snapped in twain never to be heard again had not a kind cricket fluttered perched upon the place vacant left and duly uttered love 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 when e'er the bass asked the treble to atone for its somewhat sombre drone but you don't know music wherefore keep on casting pearls to a poet all i care for is to tell him that a girl's love comes aptly in when gruff grows his singing there enough incident of the french camp you know we french stormed ratibon a mile or so away on a little mound napoleon stood on our storming day with neck outthrust you fancy how legs wide arms locked behind as if to balance the prone brow oppressive with its mind just as perhaps he mused my plans that soar to earth may fall let once my army leader land waver at yonder wall out twixt the battery smokes there flew a rider bound on bound full galloping nor bridle drew until he reached the mound then off there flung in smiling joy and held himself erect by just his horse's mane a boy you hardly could suspect so tight he kept his lips compressed scarce any blood came through you looked twice ere you saw his breast was all but shot in two well cried he emperor by god's grace we've got you ratibon the marshal's in the market-place and you'll be there anon to see your flag-bird flap his vans where i to heart's desire perched him the chief's eye flashed his plans soared up again like fire the chief's eye flashed but presently softened itself as sheaths a film the mother eagle's eye when her bruised eaglet breathes you're wounded 
nay the soldier's pride touched to the quick he said i'm killed sire and his chief beside smiling the boy fell dead my last duchess ferrara that's my last duchess painted on the wall looking as if she were alive i call that piece a wonder now for our pandolph's hands worked bitterly a day and there she stands wilt please you sit and look at her i said fra pandolph by design for never read strangers like you that pictured countenance the depth and passion of its earnest glance but to myself they turned since none puts by the curtain i have drawn for you but i and seemed as they would ask me if they durst how such a glance came there so not the first are you to turn and ask thus sir twas not her husband's presence only called that spot of joy into the duchess cheek perhaps fra pandolph chanced to say her mantle laps over my lady's wrist too much or paint must never hope to reproduce the faint half flush that dies along her throat such stuff was courtesy she thought and cause enough for calling up that spot of joy she had a heart how shall i say too soon made glad too easily impressed she liked whate'er she looked on and her looks went everywhere sir twas all one my favour at her breast the dropping of the daylight in the west the bough of cherries some officious fool broke in the orchard for her the white mule she rode with round the terrace all and each would draw from her alike the approving speech or blush at least she thanked men good but thanked somehow i know not how as if she ranked my gift of a nine hundred years old name with anybody's gift who'd stoop to blame this sort of trifling even had you skill in speech which i have not to make your will quite clear to such an one and say just this or that in you disgusts me here you miss or there exceed the mark and if she let herself be lessened so nor plainly set her wits to yours forsooth and made excuse in then would be some stooping and i choose never to stoop oh sir she smiled no doubt whene'er i passed her but who passed without much the same smile this grew i gave commands then all smiles stopped together there she stands as if alive wilt please you rise we'll meet the company below then i repeat the count your master's known munificence is ample warrant that no just pretence of mine for dowry will be disallowed though his fair daughter's self as i avowed at starting is my object nay we'll go together dancer notice neptune though taming a sea-horse thought a rarity which class of innsbruck cast in bronze for me robert browning
our last form for interpretative vocal study is the play we shall discover that the presentation of the play makes the same demands upon the interpreter as the monologue with the new element of transition we are still studying the monologue because we are to read not act the play it is still suggestive not actualized impersonation but instead of one character to suggestively set forth we have two three a dozen to present the transition from character to character becomes our one new problem as we have said before in making the transition from character to character voice mind and body must be so volatile that the action of the play shall not be interrupted i know of no better way to enter upon the study of a play for reading or acting than to treat each character as the speaker in a monologue of the browning type the danger in transition from character to character centres in the instant's pause when one speaker yields to another the unskilful reader loses both characters at this point and becomes conscious of himself the action of the play stops and the illusion of scene and situation is lost the great reader of the play in that instant's pause as he utters the last word of one character becomes the interlocutor listening to the words which he as the other character has just uttered in that instant he must show the effect of the speech he has just uttered upon the character he has just become which is the greater art to read a play or to act in it use for your study of the play the shakespearean drama begin with scenes from as you like it and the merchant of venice end of chapter eight end of the speaking voice principles of training simplified and condensed by katherine jewell everts recording by ruth golding february two thousand and twelve